This is the Prodane Podcast, hosted by Charlie Evans and Chris Harris, uniting minds across Britain. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prodine Podcast. Uh, today I am joined, uh, well I've done two recorded interviews I should say, with Professor Roger Owen Scully of um, the Politics Department at Cardiff University, who is uh, responsible for conducting the uh, latest Welsh Barometer poll alongside ITV Wales and YouGov. So got that interview coming up in the show, as well as an interview with MS for Kaya Philly, Labour MS for Kaya Philly, uh, Dr Hevin David, who's also going to be on the show talking about life in lockdown in Caerphilly, as well as Labour chances for next year. All that to come, but first here is Professor Roger Awan-Scully. I spoke to him earlier today. I'm joined by uh, Professor Roger Awan-Scully today to talk about the latest uh, Welsh Barometer uh, poll, which is the most uh, exciting time in the Welsh Politico's uh, year when they do crop up. How are you, Professor Roger? Uh, Very well, thanks. Um, so uh, I guess I just wanted to, what, out of that poll finding that you've just done in the last few days, what would you say is the most, it wasn't huge movement, I guess, from before in no. June, what would you say is the most striking thing to come out of uh, this particular poll? Well, I, I think immediately I'd, I'd point to a couple of things. I mean, first of all, uh, there, there hasn't been much change, but that is interesting in and of itself. Um, that you know, there's all these really big things going on politically uh, over over the summer and everything. Yeah, the, par- the parties haven't shifted very much, um, and I think you know that that may well be sort of likely to be the case until there's some sort of you know really major developments in relation to COVID, whether it's you know, things get a lot worse or they start to get better, um, and the public forms a view on who's responsible for that. And the other thing I think that's clearly likely to shape parties' fortunes in the next few months is how the Brexit saga plays out at its next sort of stage. Um, again, you know, is, is the Conservative government seen as having delivered effectively on a good outcome, or maybe if they're seen as having been responsible for a really bad outcome, you know, that could shift the party's stances. But at the moment, we seem to be sort of locked into a relatively stable um, sort of context where across Britain, the Conservatives are still narrowly ahead of Labour, or much more narrowly than they used to be in Wales. Uh, Labour have a by historic standards, a relatively modest advantage over the Conservatives. The second interesting that comes out from this poll is, I'm afraid, concerning the broad Liberal Democrats. For both Westminster and for the Senate, these results are the worst for them in any poll this century, and indeed the worst of any opinion poll I'm aware of ever since the Liberal Democrats were founded as a party in 1988. Uh, who knows if if there'd been specialist Welsh polling back in the 1950s or 60s, they might have done even worse than this on one occasion. But, I mean, these are really horrendous figures. You know, a year ago, it looked as if the Liberal Democrats were resurgent, coming back as a significant political force. Now they look in worse shape than ever. How are they... How are they kind of holding on in terms of the polling, in terms of Kirsty Williams, I presume, in terms of the one Liberal Democracy? Is that due to just yeah. strong the strong local factor is that is yeah. that what is keeping her in i guess is it you know given the quite bleak picture for them across wales well the, the projection that we have has kirsty williams holding brecon and radner that's simply a function of facting if you won it with a very big margin last time and if you make uniform national swing assumptions then it would really be very difficult for 
um, that to project her to lose Brecken and Radner. But I think in reality, if we're going to see, say, the Liberal Democrats down at 3% on the constituency vote in Wales for the Senate election next year, I think even as formidable a politician as Kirsty Williams with a stronger local base as she has in Brecken and Radner, I think you might still be really struggling. Um, I guess the next area I kind of want to focus on is around uh, Labour fortunes. So Mark Drakeford, um, obviously in terms of the party leaders, he's really well known now um, since the kind of the, the pandemic has begun. Um, he's perceived to be handling it incredibly well. Um, and it can't, there seems to be quite a lot of alignment there with Nicola Sturgeon. But Nicola Sturgeon has seen her polling in Scotland tick up quite significantly. And obviously the independence style has moved somewhere as well. Why isn't Mark Drake and the Labour Party seeing that same level of increase in support for them on a polling level? Well, I mean, what we've seen in Scotland is uh, support for independence and support for the SNP increased by several percentage points, but on, from what was already a pretty high base. Uh, and, of course, Nicola Sturgeon, even before COVID kicked off, was already extremely well known to the Scottish public. The situation with Mark Drakeford and Labour is rather different. I mean, for his first year in the role as First Minister, all of the polling that we did suggested that lots of people in Wales, maybe as many half or more, really had little idea who this person was. Those who did know who he was were not very impressed. And Labour had a pretty disastrous electoral um, year in his first 12 months. Now, what has happened since March is that we, you know, we've had this major... Um, public health and economic and social emergency that has, I think, to some extent played to Mark Drakeford's strengths. So, you know, even his political opponents would concede he's um, very hardworking, very good on the details of policy and so forth. And I think, you know, he's, he's generally um, seen as having handled the crisis relatively well thus far. Now, we don't know if that will continue to be the case. But um, thus far, the public in Wales are giving him pretty good evaluation to the handling of this crisis. Um, the prominent role he's had in it has pushed him more uh, into the public eye in Wales. Um, the positive evaluations of his handling of it have, have, have seen his personal ratings go up a lot. Um, and that has happened you know, in the last few months at the same time as we have seen a significant change in party fortunes. I mean, the, the April Welsh political barometer poll we had was the best one ever for the Conservatives in Wales. They were ahead for both Westminster and the Senate. Um, Labour are now back in front of the Conservatives. So I think you know, we've had actually similar sorts of changes in Wales, as you've seen in Scotland. It's just the, the starting point was very different. Sure. Uh, in Scotland was the starting point that the SNP were already well ahead and pretty popular, and they've consolidated that even further. In Wales, the starting point was Labour was behind the Conservatives, and they've been able to turn that around to some extent, albeit, you know, our latest poll has Labour only five points ahead for the constituency vote uh, in the Senate, for instance. And I guess in terms of Conservative fortunes, I guess their best bet looking at the latest polling is to almost try and unite the centre-right coalition. You alluded to earlier in terms of the Brexit party, in terms of uh, what, what will uh, the abolish effect, you know, but I guess Conservative fortunes seem to be predicated on at the moment how, how low they can keep those kind of um, parties, I guess, to the right of them a little bit. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, well, I think there's an interesting strategic dilemma uh, for the Conservatives. 
it would certainly appear to be the case superficially that you know, the Conservatives most likely route to maximising their votes and maximising their number of seats next year is to try and sort of make sure they hoover up as much as possible of that Devo-sceptic and Euro-sceptic and sort of populist right-wing vote, significant chunks of which have in some elections in recent years gone to UKIP or gone to the Brexit Party. You know, if they can really marginalise the Brexit Party, UKIP, Abolish Assembly, you know, whatever brands are, are, are running in that political space next year, then that would seem to be the most likely way that the Conservatives can maximise their voting support and thereby maximise their number of seats in the in the Senate. Um, what I've talked about in my blog at the beginning of this week was, though, you know, okay, if the Conservatives can do that, that, that's great for them electorally. It may, though, also make it a bit more difficult for them post-election because... You know, government. First, well, yes, because, I mean, if the Conservatives were successful in, in hoovering up all of those votes and doing pretty well in the election, um, yeah, they would have got more votes, more seats, but also it would mean two things. First of all, that they would have no likely coalition partner in, in the Senate post-election, um, but also it would mean you know, whatever the Conservatives would have had to do to hoover up those sorts of votes would just make it even more impossible to imagine the Conservatives working with any other party in the Senate after the election. You know, if you spent six, seven months trumpeting a sort of a more Devo-sceptic, Euro-sceptic, more populist right-wing message, then it's very, very difficult post-election to imagine you working with the Liberal Democrats or Clyde Cymru, you know, anybody. Um, it, it, it would just be politically even more difficult to conceive. So, um, yeah, this may yeah, be I'm one of those occasions when sort of what is the optimal electoral strategy may not necessarily be the optimal strategy for actually getting into government. And there was kind of an academic argument or an academic comparison a few months ago um, made similar um, kind of from uh, to the Rep Republic of Ireland situation. Um, but do you see that playing out in Wales in terms of rotating kind of, um, you know, first ministers rotating on an annual basis? Or, or do you think the, the, the politics within Wales, Labour, for example, seem more aligned with Plaid Cymru in this than kind of in Ireland than letting Sinn Féin in, for example? Would you, or do you think that could potentially take place? Well, I think what we do have in common with the Republic of Ireland, what we have in common with lots of other uh, democratic systems is that you know, we have multi-party politics with a, at least a semi-proportional voting system for the Senate. It's always going to be very difficult for any single party to win a majority. Um, if you're therefore into multi-party politics and coalitions or other sorts of deals around minority governments, then um, you, you often get into this situation where um, the electoral result, in a sense, is only really stage one of forming a government. And then you have a post-electoral process. Uh, and in that sort of political context, what matters is not just sort of the competitive side of party politics, of you know, squeezing out your competitors to get more votes and more seats, although that is clearly still important, but also important is where you've positioned yourself politically in terms of who you can potentially work with. Um, and you know, we've seen a very interesting, vivid example of that in the Republic of Ireland in recent months. Um, but, you know, there are multiple other examples from many countries we could we could look at. Um, I think you know, it is, I think, immensely frustrating for many Welsh Conservatives 
that although they have been present in the Senate throughout its life, although they have often had within their group in the Senate some very talented politicians, they've never been in government. They've been trapped in permanent opposition. Only once in 2007 did they even come close to sort of breaking out of that trap. And, you know, you can well understand conservatives wanting to think about maybe innovative ways in which they could um, break Labour stranglehold on do domination of government in the Senate, that they could break themselves out of this permanent opposition. Um, but at the moment, it's still difficult to see the conservatives' route to getting there unless they get an amazingly good election result next May you know, beyond almost all current expectations. And I guess finally, then, in terms of looking at the um, the in terms of the percentage of don't knows in some of the opposition leaders, how does Adam Price's and Paul Davis's don't know percentage compare to Leanne Woods and um, and Andrew R T Davis? Uh, and will that actually have an impact on polling day, or actually is the UK factor going to play through more so than anything? I think it will differ for the different parties. So I think for. The Welsh Conservatives, I mean, the voters they're mostly looking to attract will be people who will be often more focused on UK-level politics. So, actually, if you look throughout the life of uh, the Senate, the Welsh Conservatives have never really had a very high-profile high and popular leader, um, whether you're looking at Rod Richards or Nick Bourne or, or RT or um, yeah, Paul Davis recently. Um, the cons Welsh Conservatives, I think, will largely live or die by um, UK level politics and how yeah. well the Conservative government in London particularly is, is evaluated on handling COVID and on handling uh, Brexit over the next few months. For Plycome, clearly it's very different. Um, they are going after mainly a somewhat different type of voter and of course they're dependent wholly on their, their efforts here in Wales. Um, Adam Price is still lagging behind the public visibility that Leanne would got, um, which mainly was a function of her taking part in the uh, 2015 general election UK-wide debates, the very high-profile debates that lifted her public profile much higher. Adam Price has not yet reached that level of public visibility, but um, I think we saw in the general election campaign last year when he got chances to be on the UK-wide stage, he was pretty effective for Plaid Cymru, and for Plaid, I think one of their major tasks in the months leading up to the campaign will be to you know, try and raise Adam Price's profile um, because you know, the evidence we have suggests that he goes over fairly well with a lot of the voters who know who he is. They need to get more voters knowing who he is and, and paying attention to his messages. But I think Clyde have realistic expectations that Adam Price could be a significant electoral asset for them this time, just as actually Leanne Wood was for them in 2016. And then I guess, um, just really quickly, briefly, what would be your prediction, I guess, in terms of next government? Would it be a Labour Plaid coalition? Is that probably the, the bookie's favourite, would you say? Well, I, I'm very cautious about making predictions, particularly after the last few years in politics, <laughs> but I think, you know, uh, and, you know, a current poll is not a prediction of how things will necessarily be in, in May, but I think, you know, there are huge political events that could turn everything around. But at the moment, I think uh, Labour being the largest party, but some way short of the majority, must be the most likely outcome. Uh, and then I think you're either looking at some sort of confidence and supply arrangement with Plaid or formal coalition. Those look like the two most likely options politically and arithmetically at the moment.
Professor Roger Owen-Scully, thank you for joining us today. Big thanks to Professor Roger Owen-Scully. And now I am joined by Dr. Heaven David, MS for Caerphilly. I ask him, how is life in lockdown in Caerphilly going? And what are the chances of a Labour majority government in Wales in the Welsh Senate election next year? Uh, Dr. Heaven David, um, you know, you're obviously speaking uh, from... Uh, so Caerphilly, that's the area you kind of uh, represent. In my living how, room right now. Uh, yeah, indeed. How has uh, lockdown, I know Ron the Cunnantaf today is, gone, is going in as well. How has it been in, uh, in uh, Caerphilly? Yeah, um, I think it, it's such incredibly challenging times. And uh, when we started getting an inkling of the rising rates in Caerphilly, it was quite ominous. And uh, that was uh, week before last. The health board got in touch and said they were starting to see a rise in, in rates of infection. And uh, ultimately, the, the, a few days later, the Welsh government took the step to, to introduce what they then called a lockdown. I think the mistake then was to call it a lockdown because it wasn't, it, and it isn't. It's a series of restrictions on people's lives that fall some way short of a lockdown. And if you look at what's happening in RCT, they've called it uh, restrictions, which is the right thing. Um, and I think immediately you use the word lockdown. I think people got uh, uh, very panicked, um, understandably so, uh, as did I. And I think that the language needs to change to say, well, actually, what we're doing is reduce, uh, introducing a degree of further restrictions that are actually short of a lockdown. But it's still been very, very tough with lots of questions. So I'm all right thinking pubs are still open and so on and so forth. And I guess that's probably been the criticism around the language of lockdown is that pubs are still open, for example. Yeah. and um, um was they're obviously introducing a curfew after 11 in Ronda. why yeah. did they not do that in why has that not been the case in Caerphilly I think that was a, a the drive in the Ronda was a local drive for that from the leader of RCT council as I understand it but um yeah. in in Caerphilly uh the, the the first some of the early questions I got and still getting to an extent is why are pubs still open and I given the fact that people ask me this question I put it directly to the minister directly to Vaughan Gething um and to his team and the answer is that the drive in Caerphilly uh, for, the, for the infection rates was household to household. So although you may only see, you know, you may be thinking, oh, well, it's okay to have an extra three people in the house. They're not quite in my extended household, but it doesn't matter. It's only three people. The problem is that becomes exponential. So you get people going to another house and another house and another house. And it actually builds up to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people mixing in a way that is just uncontrollable. If you actually put those into a pub, you could control it through um, regulation um, and through track and trace and through limits on uh, social distancing that the landlords are, are responsible for. And on the whole, I have to say, there are exceptions where pubs have not done it well. On the whole, I've seen it happen well. Um, immediately after lockdown, I went to my uh, Workman's Club, which is my local uh, place where I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've always been there with my, my friends. I went there, they happened to be there two meters away. And uh, if you go around the pub, there was a very clear set of instructions as to where you couldn't, couldn't go. You had to uh, wipe your hands on the way in. You had to sign in. It was really well done. And, and everywhere else I've been, I haven't been, to, I haven't been to many pubs, but everywhere else I've been, I've seen that happen. There have been a few exceptions, but that's where it can be controlled. You cannot have that degree of control in people's homes. And... I guess how how long much longer to kind of like the cases seem to be coming down now looking at them and the, the, yeah. the, the spike is now kind of going more in the direction of um 
of uh, Ronda, unfortunately, and Newport. Um, how much longer do you kind of expect to be in uh, in uh, lockdown? Well, not lockdown. I need to stop using that language. Yeah, in restrictions. That, yeah. in those restrictions for? Well, I've seen, uh, Ron Gethin today made a statement in the Senate, which I listened to, and he said that um, the police are reporting very high degrees of compliance. And I've seen that with my own eyes. And, you know, every time I've been on, on any media, including this, I would say, you know, it, it isn't about blaming people or blaming any particular group of people but it's about as a community getting a grip on it and I've got to say that's what's happening um, I'm seeing it the majority obviously there's always dissenting voices but I'm seeing the majority on social media the majority in emails and when I walk around Astrid I took my children to Caffili Town so my daughter could have some new shoes down for school and I was seeing people really buying into this people want to get on top of it and and it's you know I'm so proud to be part of this community that people are doing this um, and, and it is having an effect. Now, the question you then asked was, what about the review? Well, there's got to be a statutory review before the 24th of September. Um, but I don't anticipate that um, that there'll be a, an immediate relaxation straight away on the 24th, uh, because it takes a while for, you know, to, to get control of the virus. So I expect to see a further announcement perhaps a week later or a week after that. But the rules say, the law says, you've got to have a review after two weeks and then one week every week after that. So uh, we, we've just got to keep an eye on it and see what the government do. At the moment, I don't think the government know. I think they're going to see where we are next week. Um, and then have the schools, like some kids gone back to school and so on and so forth. I think I've been to Caerphilly uh, once before, but I think I got lost around the one-way system before. And right. I, I, I don't know why I'm uh, making that remark now. <laughs> Just go to the castle. Just go to the castle. It's well, I tried going to the castle. I think yeah. I was. Um, I I think the opening hours were restricted that particular time. Right. I, I missed it unfortunately. But the Greg's oh, was good. The my Greg's children love the castle. When we, got, <laughs> when we went shoe shopping, my my daughter said, um, "Can we go to the castle, Daddy?" And I was like, "Oh, we can't. They've closed it." But she was desperate <laughs> to go because they got dragons there and everything. It's amazing. Um, and how have the schools kind of been like since uh, kind of like kids gone back? Have you, have, have, has that been quite controlled in terms of uh, COVID there? And no, uh, well, it's been it's been controlled. The head teachers have controlled it very very well. Um, but and the different schools have had different policies because the school's policy is designed around the building, the structure of the school. So you've got a very open plan school in Lewis School, Pengam. You can probably uh, relax some of the rules there. Whereas narrow corridors in St Martin's makes it harder. Um, but, you know, the schools have been great. We have seen outbreaks, though. Um, but the most important thing is those outbreaks haven't led to the closure of schools, even if they've led to the closure of certain classes. Um, I, I think it's vital schools stay open, certainly from a point of view, just as a parent. You know, I want to see my kids still in school. And uh, the, the ambition is to keep schools open. And it's, so far, it's been successful. Uh, and I kind of um, last week we kind of did a bit around the Conservatives next elect in terms of the next election. Mm. Kind of what are their prospects? Um, I guess <clears throat> speaking as a uh, someone who's quite independently minded Labour MS, um, like what do you think the prospects are um, next year? Do you think a majority is achievable, or do you think, think likely we, we minority? Should, we should add the caveat there, right? All. Labour MSs think they're independently minded, but when they see the whip, they do as they're told. Um, I'm, no, I'm no exception. Um, you know, the, the closest I came to, to breaching the whip actually was over the autism bill, which I felt strongly about. And it, and, and it was a personal decision to vote with the whip that day. It just happened to be that that's what I thought the best thing to do was. Um, but, you know, I, I could have easily have broken the whip on that. But it's very few and far between that you do. I think when you say independently minded, it means not afraid to challenge.
Yeah. Um, sure. So yeah, I, I just think that uh, you know I want to have as an input into the planning for the next election, um, and I think that uh, it needs to be guided by by what is right. You know what what needs to be done rather than looking at the polls. I know you've got Roger Skelly giving you his uh, his list of doom. Um, fortunately, I'm not on the list of doom this time. I often look, <laughs> is, is, is Kefili on the list of doom? No, it's not. Okay, I can relax for another month. Um, but what, what, we need, what we need to be looking at is um, the, uh, the culture of the nation that we want in the future. And I think that will be shaped by how we emerge from lockdown. And I know that you, you often talk, you, you know, uh, on the right, I, I, I say, you know, people on the right talk about freedom and freedom is a big concept on, on, the, on the right at the right of center. And I think it's time that we on the left started looking at this concept of freedom, because as we emerge from lockdown, freedom is going to be what people will be looking for, what people are craving. So, you know, a very simple, basic freedom, like freedom to leave the house, freedom to leave the borough. And I think any party that has a, uh, a serious intent of government needs to build their offer at the next election around that concept of freedom. Freedom will mean different things in different contexts. I mean, for, for, for Plaid Cymru, it will mean freedom from Westminster. Uh, for the Conservative Party, it might mean individual freedoms. And I think I, I, I actually like that idea of individual freedoms. But the, for, the, for, the, for, for us in the Labour Party, I think we need to look at community freedom. And that means freedom to work flexibly, freedom to uh, build locally, not f uh, having to be tied to a city, um, in, particularly in the South Wales Valleys. And, and that, that freedom allows people to, um, to, to build their communities in a way that previously we haven't really been very good at because everything's been focused towards the city centre, for example. And I think we can make, make an offer around that. And I think you've started to see tentative movements towards that um, uh, politically and also quite strong movements in policy in, in Welsh government. I guess, what do you think though, um, I don't mean to push you on this particular yeah. one, but realistically in terms of an, an actual result, I know uh, you oh, might right. have... you're, you're not talking you, policy. You're well, talking, well, policy... It, the, the, you're talking about the, the dirty old rules of, of, of well, gaining and gains well, and losses. And... I, I'm, pleased, I'm pleased you've talked about freedom actually, because that's, yeah. that's an interesting steer, an interesting pitch. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of... Uh, um, in terms of a result, if you like, yeah, uh, I think um, Mr. Scully's poll. I, I uh, you, the people who are listening to this, they'll hear me call him Sully, actually, which is um, I, I need to apologize to uh, the professor, uh, yeah, and a bit later on, and it's but, Awan um, Scully, don't forget, it's good, yeah. And I know. did say Awan Scully, I yeah. did say Awan, but I said Awan Sully, which is Paul, right? Um, okay, what, what would you say in terms of um, yeah, reasonable, realistic results? And one of the things that we <laughs> talked about, me and um. Uh, and Mr. Alan Scully was around, you know, Mark Drakeford's personal polling ratings. He's, he's genuinely thought to have a pretty good crisis in terms of his, his polling rating, at least. Yeah. But it hasn't translated in the, the gains in Labour fortunes as it has, for example, in Scotland with Nicola Sturgeon and the, the independence dial. Yeah. Um, what, what, what would you say in terms of seat total are we looking at for Labour next year or realistically, oh. would you say? Uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know. And one of the things uh, Roger always says is about uh, pro projections, um, not predictions. So, you know, where we are now may not be where we are in the future. There could be anything could happen. You could see a huge backlash against the ruling parties in Scotland and Wales and the UK uh, uh, regarding lockdown. Or you could see uh, a surge for them. Who knows? 
I think you know you, you, the the polling we've seen consistently is um, you know Labour seats in in the twenties to to mid mid to high twenties. Um, you know that's kind of where we are at the moment. One of the things I always say: we've never had a majority Labour government in Wales. People say, "Oh, we've had Labour in power for, for, for since the start of the devolution." Yes, but we've never had a majority Labour government. And in that time, you've had Liberal Democrats or Plaid Cymru uh, in coalition or minority government. And um, perhaps, perhaps a little bit tongue in cheek, I say, "Well, you know, imagine what we could do if we had a majority Labour government." Um, but you know, seriously though. You know, you you do have these compromises that have to be formed because of this very narrow uh, electoral um, system that we've got, and therefore, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to say whether if Labour get 25 seats, there'll be a possibility of a of of a coalition, or if Labour get 27 seats, it it doesn't does it really make that much difference? If they fall short of 30, the likelihood is there'll have to be some form of of um, of bargain government, you know, that's the nature of the current system, which incidentally I'd like to change. Yeah, I was going to say, not in Labour's favour, not in Labour's favour, by the way. Now, this is actually pinned to your Twitter profile, to your speech, a rousing speech, I must say, on electoral form and the number of uh, MSs. Mm. Obviously, the um, <clears throat> the committee report on electoral form came out um, last week or so. Yeah. Is single transferable vote on kind of uh, on smaller constituency basis something you would like to see, or is there something else that you think would be work better? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the starting point for any reform has to be that uh, electoral system, because currently it, it doesn't it doesn't just doesn't work. Um, you've you've got constituencies went on less than fifty percent of the vote, uh, and then these top up seats on uh, on on you know a very weird proportion of the vote the calculated use in this Dehont system is it people that people don't understand they can't see how it works and i think it needs simplification and it needs proportionality which it we you know which is currently is only artificially built in so i think that change can happen and and you know laura McAllister's report does does set out how that can be done i don't think you know you need to do anything other than pick that off the shelf put it in your manifesto and then do your best to do it after after the election uh, the, the more members issue is more complicated. And I've always come to it saying, you know, that what really bugs me is when people say, oh, you just want more snouts in the trough, you know. Well, to be honest with you, I, you know, it's not a very secure occupation being in politics. And yes, yes, you get well paid. Yes, you do. But, uh, you know, it's, it's also, you know, very, very difficult job sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm not in this for, for any personal earnings. You know, the, and neither are, neither are, my conservative played colleagues, you know, they, they, it's not about that. It's about making sure the government performs effectively. And sometimes, it, you know, throughout a term, it, it frustrates me when government moves too slowly, for example, on certain things. The state management charges is a, is a, is a very big one of mine that I'm pushing. And I just feel that we, we need to move faster. And it, and it would be better to be able to build a, a bigger backbench team who are pushing these kinds of things. The problem is my other backbench colleagues have many other things that they are working on. So the more members you've got on the backbenches, cross party, not just in your own party, the easier it is to, easier it is to push um, the kind of projects and, and, and issues that you want to see for the people you represent. Um, just to kind of go... And, uh, one, and one other thing, I, you know, you look at the front bench, do they want more people scrutinising them or fewer? That's, that's a really important issue. You know, I, I know that the, the hybrid system has worked in, as, as ministers are happy with it because it's much harder to scrutinise them. 
Well, but um, there is a bit of a problem, I'd say, uh, heaven, though, is when um, whilst government ministers decide to uh, address the BBC as opposed yeah. to um, the Senate itself, you know, only to, uh, today, uh, Vaughan Gethin. Um, so uh, I, I think that's a valid point you make. Yeah. Um, but we do need our executive, however, to actually um, honour the yeah. status of the legislatures rather than shirking away from the... Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a fair point. I don't, don't disagree with that. I think in the early days, um, the pe- uh, uh, what a press conference should do is supplement what is, what is done and said in, in the chamber, I think. And it, the problem we've got is it works the other way around. So the press conference happened before the, before the Senate session. Um, there is an issue, of course, with the, sometimes the Senate doesn't sit and you need to make a quick decision, as with the Caffili lockdown. You know, you couldn't recall the Senate, announce the Caffili lockdown, and then, uh, sorry, I used the word lockdown then, sorry, I should say restrictions. I need to get used <laughs> to that. But, but, you know, seriously, uh, restrictions. And the, the, the problem was you couldn't recall the Senate just to, just to announce the restrictions in Caffili. Um, it had to be done, and, and a press conference would have worked then, actually. You know, we really could could have done with a press conference immediately to ask those questions. But I think a press conference is a matter of course that replaces the Senate. You're absolutely right. It shouldn't be happening. Um, what What is perfectly reasonable would be something announced on the Wednesday in the Senate, then, you know, uh, the, off, off the minister goes to answer questions from journalists afterwards. I don't think there's anything wrong, wrong with that. Um, just kind of going back to this kind of um, <clears throat> number of seats thing, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for arithmetic. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of um, what that might look like, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in terms of if Labour were to, if the Labour Party were to form the next administration, whether as a, well, let's just say as a minority party, for example, and they would need the help of others. Would you, um, like, let's just, let's just, hypothetically say there will be no Labour majority, would you think that a formal deal with um, Plaid Cymru, for example, is something that you'd be willing to accept? Or would it be more on a confidence and supply basis? Oh, God, Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I haven't thought that far ahead, to be frank with you. (laughs) Um, uh, To be be frank with you, I'm currently so immersed in uh, this crisis and, and trying to help the community here that I haven't actually thought beyond, uh, you know, the mechanic beyond policy. I've thought what do your instincts? Policy. What do your instincts tell you on that question in terms of? I uh, could go either way. Uh, I I I think, you know, I I like Adam Price, but I think you know his his ambition is to be first minister. I think you know what what he desperately desperately wants is to be first minister, um, and I think he would do that whether it's involved a i think his preference would be not to have labor in government i think it would be uh, applied minority government is what they'd want um I, I don't think that's practical so you know you do bring into play confidence and supply between tories and Clyde Cymru. you know if i say that on twitter it basically renders my twitter unusable for 24 hours but um you know that's that's certainly a, a the, the direction i could see happening um there needs to be if, if if Adam Price wants wants to be first minister, I think that's the route. I think if you've got a government a, a party that has the biggest percentage of the vote, then that is where in my view the first minister should come from. So you know if if, if Labour have kind of thirty five percent of the vote and Plaid have twenty five percent of the vote, then by rights then the first minister should come from that bigger party. I think that's just sensible, you know. Um, but whether Adam Price would willing to be settled would willing to be willing to settle for being deputy first minister i don't know what do you think of the um turn i know you've uh, kind of uh, 
not landed yourself in hot water with uh, the uh, the uh, the Welsh Assembly kind of uh, standards or, or uh, the, the standards commissioner in terms of stuff like that before. But um, I have yeah. never been in trouble with the current standards commissioner. <laughs> but um, I do, uh, you know, um, I think um, you know you do see yourself in particular get a lot of abuse, kind of. Um, with people with kind of like a Yes Cymru logo and things on their Twitter yeah. profiles and stuff like that. I think some what, of those people are toxic. What, what do you make of the, the standard of public debate in Wales? I think we talk about it a lot at the UK level, it gets more coverage. Yeah. But what is your experience as an MS, I guess? And does a lot, does the majority of the abuse come from people who purport to support independence for Wales or, you know, or does it come from all over? On, on Twitter, it depends what views you express. If you express, you know, absolutely categorical pro-european views then it's likely that you know uh, um brexiteers will, will will come at you i don't hold those views i'm a eurosceptic remainer i'm uh, you know I'm, i feel that there's a democratic deficit in the european union and therefore on those terms it, you know i can understand why people voted to leave so i don't express those views so i don't get attacked by that group of people I am sceptical about Welsh independence and, and, and strongly sceptical, more strongly sceptical than I am about the European Union. And as a result, I think um, that that's where people, because I'm not a, a purist when it comes to independence, uh, and, and, I, and I express strong reservations and, and even, you know, say at this point in time, it's certainly the wrong thing for this country, uh, you get that attack. And there is a certain level of uh, moronity on, on Twitter that, that people just, you know, People express those express those views in very strong terms, and sometimes you just feel like telling someone to just sod off when they're being stupid. Like that. <laughs> um, but actually, that's that's the minority, um, and it's usually a minority of of quite arrogant, um, bigoted people. What we're actually seeing now, much more than at the beginning of this assembly term, are some very very good uh, areas of debate, including this blog. Uh, you've got Hereith, which I saw. Uh, I know um, uh, there was uh, uh, Darren Hill was running a blog. There, there, there's lots of different outlets now for for reasonable grown-up debate, um, and you know, able to go to those humorous edges without worrying too much about a, a nasty reaction. So we are seeing the, 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 this growing up in a way that it wasn't present in 2016. In 2016, there was Senate Home which is run by Owen Donovan and it's brilliant and it remains brilliant, but it wasn't really a forum for debate. It was more a reporting forum complementing that. Now you've got these blogs and I think it, it's grown out. Uh, it's outgrown Twitter. It's better than Twitter. And it's, and it's um, a Twitter can use, you can use Twitter as a platform to promote it. Um, and I just find it so much better. Things like this. And talking about uh, kind of the debate that's kind of expanded, uh, a lot of that's come to the attention is the area of, um, federalism. Now, I know that's an area you've kind of um, uh, called for in terms of solving, I guess, the uh, the, the woes of the union as we currently um, yeah. currently see it. What what does a federalist UK look like for you, though? Does yeah. it look like an England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland? Does it look like a Midlands, London, West, um, North Wales? What what does it look like for you? Well, I think where I differ, perhaps from someone like yourself, I, you know, I, I I'm. I'm a pragmatist more than unionist. You know, I, I, I do feel the union works in the same way as economically the European Union worked. Um, but I don't feel that uh, it's, it's, it's got its democratic problems in the same way the European Union's got had democratic problems. So I can understand again why people would wish to leave that union, the UK union. Pragmatically, though, I think there are, as with the European Union, I felt, there are things you can do to fix it. 
Um, and the principal starting point is power and where power should be and how it should be distributed. And the, the, the simple principle for that is subsidiarity, that you take a decision at the level most relevant to the nature of the decision you take in. So if you're talking about planning permission, it's a local authority. If you're talking about international negotiations on trade, it's um, central government. And you can actually categorize policy along those lines. And that's where the, the structures of state build up around that, the layers of governance build up around that. And you know, it nat what naturally comes out of that is some form of federal state. I think that's the natural state of government. Um, you, if you were starting a, to build a state from scratch, you wouldn't design it like the United Kingdom. In fact, you probably wouldn't design like many um, states in the modern age. We've got an opportunity to redesign our state or, or effectively lose it. And I think that's where we are at the moment. Would you see on that point, would you see further powers, you know, um, would you want to see more powers kind of head to local authority level? Would you actually, yeah. if you're talking about pragmatism, would you see certain powers that would can revert to Westminster? What, what would you be as a pragmatist? Would you be, would you, are you open to those sorts of things, a, a transfer of power in all directions or, or is yeah. it very much a case of, I mean, yeah. it, it's got to start on the basis of agreement. So you, you know, you need, you need agreement as to how that power is distributed and that and if, if you base it on a principle then it's easier to find agreement on a principle than on practice so subsidiarity to start with i think you need a con constitutional convention then to work out the finer details of it um and you know the, the the biggest one is the is is this argument that it comes very often from the nationalist angle well you, you can have an independent you know if a, as federal wales a federal scotland but then a dominant federal england well, my argument is actually England isn't a single entity either. Um, and, you know, if, if you look at some of the devolution literature in England, it does talk about specific regions such as North Yorkshire, for example, that, that, that lend themselves naturally to devolved power. And, uh, and the north of England is very, very different to the south of England. Very different. But wouldn't you say We've the had... same, though? Wouldn't you say the same about northeast wales though for example and uh you know carmarthenshire for example yeah and, 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 and absolutely and that's where the, the principle of subsidiarity comes back in where you need regional within wales you need you know regional tiers and you'd also need those different regional tiers in england which is the basis of local authorities i think we've got i i absolutely think we've got too many local authorities in wales and you could have the the the, the, the tier below the, the the federal government the tier below that would be the a, a bigger federal authorities and then below that you've got you know naturally community um community authorities you could you could build you know there's there's there's, there's ways of of designing the state that that mirror things that have happened in the past that you could do that you could do with a federal state but i think you need a constitu constitutional convention to work out those principles in order to do it properly and that would need to involve more than one uh, political party uh, Dr. Evan David, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and um, and uh, yeah, please come on again. Thanks very much. That's it for another episode of the Prodine Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Chris is down the pub this evening, so we might be able to see him next time. Um, but please join us for the weekly review at the end of this week, where we review the week's news in Wales, UK and abroad. Thanks now. For more from the Prodane Review, head to prodane.review on any web browser. Alternatively, check out at Prodane Review on Twitter or Facebook. <laughs>